What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. We're live once again here on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And greetings to those who are listening to our audio feed. I'm Jack Vita, alongside Andrew Stem, the basketball savant, back with us once again. Oh, thanks to be uh, good to be here again, Jack. Uh, unfortunately, I only got one of my four Final Four teams right, so I may have to sacrifice that Savant title. But uh, you know, it's been an oh man, been, a, been an un, been an unusual tournament. But uh, you know, it seems like we're destined uh, probably for maybe a Gonzaga Baylor final, which is kind of where everybody thought we'd be. So uh, you know, you may very well get the two best teams to square off, which would be good. And I'm excited to talk about these these Elite Eight matchups with you. Oh, yeah. Lots to get into. I made the executive decision earlier this week that I'm not going to do a live stream on Sunday after the Final Four. So this is our preview here for the Final Four today, in addition to the Elite Eight. And uh, with that, maybe we'll even get into potentially just discussing that hypothetical Gonzaga-Baylor matchup down the road and what we could see come Monday night. We will have a live stream on Tuesday. Hopefully you are able to join us, Andrew. Yeah, I'm hoping Don't know so. Yet. I'm hoping so. I think so. Have to have to check how the calendar okay. shakes out. But uh, <laughs> if given the opportunity, I would love to be there. Oh, you're 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 welcome. Please please join. Sounds good. <laughs> and then uh, we may have some other special guests with us as well. We had a real fun time. The last couple of live streams have been really great. Paul Oren last week. Paul Oren, he racked up the uh, the numbers. We had about 800 or 900 views on that. He's a popular guy. He is. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, just I'm sorry, I, don't, I'm sorry could... I don't bring the same sort of gravitas that he does. <laughs> I was going to say, just when you think you're finally getting out of his shadow, you know, because you guys were both in the comm department, you move out to Omaha, you get to come on this show all, a lot, and then he says, hey, I want to come on there, and we're right back to square one. And he brings his bigger audience. I got I to gotta get all the people I know to tune in, I guess. <laughs> but he did an excellent job for us, and we had on Monday – Associate head coach Luke Gore of Valparaiso Men's Basketball. He was on here and really fun talking with him. We talked all about the matchup, some of his connections in this coaching world. Uh, I didn't even mean to get into the transfer stuff with him. I was just asking him about, hey, what's going on with all these uh, transfers that we're seeing in college basketball? Because I think that's a big story. He started talking a little bit about how that's been a little bit of an issue with Valparaiso lately. Uh, so that was very, very cool. A lot of transparency on Luke's part. Yeah. Yeah. Luke's always been an outstanding interview. He's a really, really good guy. And uh, he had a lot of good things to say. I really enjoyed that episode when he was in on Monday. Sweet. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. We talked White Sox. We talked some Holy Week. And with it being Holy Week, we have another episode releasing tomorrow. And that is the best comebacks of all time. I talk about Jesus's comeback. Uh, should be a lot of fun. We're excited for that. Um, so make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on that and any of the other stuff we have coming up. The Masters is next week, right? Isn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. First round gets going next Isn't week. That cr- That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a little, it's a little disappointing. I'm not going to lie that, uh, you know, there was always kind of one of those joys since tomorrow is opening day for baseball. And uh, there used to be one of those great joys where, 
you know, it read in there was a national championship game the night after during opening day, and it, then it fed into the week of the Masters, and there was just this one kind of week where you just sort of were gorging on sports all the time. And I get that baseball yeah. won kind of their own standalone uh, opening day. It was a little bit different, but I feel like it's just kind of taken away a little bit from, like there will still be baseball games on the day of the national championship game, but there won't be that same kind of joy that you get on opening day. And that rolls into the masters. And once you see the azaleas blooming in Augusta, it says that, you know, spring is here and uh, we're ready to go. So yeah, it's hard to believe. It feels like just yesterday they were finishing up the 2020 masters in November. Um, yeah. You know, so, so Dustin Johnson will have a chance to try and repeat and win two masters in five, six months time. But uh, yeah, it's, you know, the, the sign that spring is here, the weather may or may not agree and cooperate, but uh, the sports calendar says spring is here. Yeah, actually the weather hasn't been too bad here at least, but nevertheless, uh, you're going to want to make sure you're subscribed to this podcast, wherever it is that you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is, or log on to my website, jackvita.com, better yet, and get email notifications whenever I write something new, podcast about something new. It's a lot that I'm going to be covering now with the spring sports going on. I'm so excited. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed. And, uh, with that, we also finished our MLB preview for that matter. So drop that AL Central preview just came out uh, yesterday, actually, and uh, revealed my World Series pick. Nice. Yeah, I saw you sat down with Jake. I didn't get a chance <laughs> to uh, listen yet. You want to give me a little spoiler on who your who your World Series pick was? Uh, let's see. Maybe I could give a little clues. Um, so one team is an East Coast team. The other team's a Midwest team. So if you want to guess, I'll let you guess. I mean, it all kind of boils down to what you define as Midwest, I guess. I got into a discussion with a friend <laughs> the other day about what determines the what, uh, what the Midwest is. But uh, I'll say you said... Uh, I. I know you're high on the White Sox, but with Eloy getting injured, I don't know if you would have taken the White Sox. So I'll say the Nationals. No, I, the I did. I took them out of the American League, actually. Yeah. Even even without Eloy. Yeah, I did. Because he could come back for the playoffs, and I just think that American League is so wide open. I think the National League is – We're we'll talk more about this as the season goes on, but I think you're looking at potentially – maybe your top four teams in the national league. And then you, once you get to like team number five, you get to the American league. I think AL's wide open. The White Sox can do it. It'll be interesting to see how, uh, you know, they brought up Andrew Vaughn and kind of how they move everybody around. Uh, I certainly wouldn't put it past the White Sox. They've built that roster and they have a good team. I'm just not quite sure how I feel about that lineup without Eloy in there. Yeah, that's a fair point. And then uh, you want to make a quick guess at the National League team? Uh, I said the Nationals. Was that uh, – did you, did you Ooh, like Washington? No, no, no. Not the Nationals. Not the Nationals. You go with the Mets? No. Southeast. Oh, Atlanta? Yeah, I like them a lot. So, all right. If you want to hear the logic behind why I picked those teams – Tune into that. Uh, go to jackvia.com. I'm going to put all the win projections out there in a piece today. Uh, nice. So lots to get into with all that. But we're here to talk college basketball. Uh, that's what we're 
not really, I was going to say we're paid to do that, but we're not really paid. Uh, (laughs) We're just doing it for the, for the love of things. So Andrew, I I guess we got to start here with a tough night for you last night with Michigan going down. Might as well get it out of the way. Might as well get it out of the way. So I can hear an analysis about the other three games. (laughs) So Michigan, uh, that was the toughest, one of the toughest games I'd seen from them. Obviously the Illinois game being their low point, uh, really great defensive battle last night. UCLA, wins that game 51-49. They go to the Final Four for the first time in 13 years. Tough one for the Wolverines, though. Yeah, just felt like, and, you know, credit to UCLA's defense. Uh, they just, Michigan just never looked comfortable on offense. You know, they only turned the ball over eight times in the whole game against Florida State. They turned it over eight times in the first half against UCLA, finished with uh, 14 turnovers, so they had six in the second half, and, it was like there were spurts where they looked comfortable on offense. There were a couple of possessions in the second half where they got the ball to Hunter Dickinson uh, on back-to-back possessions, and he was able to go against first Cody Riley, and then I can't remember the name of the other UCLA big, and he was able to score, uh, and, and then they kind of went away from that. Shonday Brown hit a couple of three-pointers at various times, once in the quarter, once from the wing, and it was like that. Maybe this is going to get them going, and just couldn't get any consistent production. Um you know, that they, they would score, they went on a run. It was like they scored the first eight points of the second half. And then there were times where they went, you know, four minutes without scoring. And, uh, you know, again, a credit to UCLA's defense. Um, you know, I, I think a credit to Michigan's defense too, because other than Johnny Juzang, there wasn't a whole lot yeah. uh, happening for UCLA. Tiger Campbell had a couple of big baskets late in there, but it was just kind of a, it was a, a defensive slugfest and Michigan missed just enough free throws. I mean, they were six of 11 from the line, which isn't terrible, but uh, Mike Smith missed two at the end of the first half. And there were a couple of missed free throws right at the beginning of the second half. And it was kind of like, you know, those four missed free throws uh, came back to bite him a little bit and they had good looks at the end. I mean, they had three chances down one and then down two. Uh, Franz Wagner had a couple of three point attempts. Mike Smith had one and uh, just didn't go. And that was just kind of the way it was, um, you know, a, a tough ending to a season that worked out pretty well. And I, I know they probably missed Isaiah livers a little bit, but to get to the elite eight, when, you know, a lot of people, uh, you included, were picking them to lose to LSU or Florida state in the sweet 16, <laughs> yeah. uh, a pretty good year. And, you know, just credit to UCLA. Uh, they've, they've just got it going. They found it. They struggled coming down the stretch, they lost three in a row and then lost their first game in the Pac-12 tournament and, you know, were destined for that first four. And then they just found something late uh, in the second half against Michigan State. They trailed by 14 at one point, came back, forced overtime, played well in overtime, even without without Juzang, who was in and out with that ankle injury. And uh, then they they just rolled over BYU and, um, you know, same with Abilene Christian and uh, overcame that late three-pointer Alex Reese hit for Alabama to send that game into overtime and rebounded and scored 23 points in the extra session, and they just kept it going. Um, you know, I, I think they will – I think they're going to find, as uh, you know, we discovered last night in the other game, USC found out, the Mobley brothers, that Gonzaga is an entirely different beast. Um, and you know that 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 may very well be where the UCLA run stops. But credit to Mick Cronin, credit to his players uh, for doing uh, being only the second team to go from first four to final four, along with Shaka Smart's VCU team in 2011. And I assume we'll probably end up talking about Shaka going to Marquette here a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it was it was 
an exciting game. It was not necessarily a well-played game. If you like offense, it was not one uh, that you found particularly exciting, I imagine, because there were long stretches that both teams had where they couldn't score. But if you like defense, it was a well-played defensive game, and UCLA made enough plays at the end to get it done. Yeah, I think uh, you touched on so many things there, Andrew. Uh, Michigan, really, I think the liver's absence really killed them, to tell the truth. In this game in particular, we had talked about a month ago, is this Michigan team potentially the best team they've had over the last 10 years? I don't think they were as talented as a 2013 team, but I do think at their apex of what we saw out of those three teams, this team was the best one at their, at their highest, at their, at their very best. And last night it was a type of game where you need that type of Isaiah liver senior guy to kind of, when you, when you're not scoring and just kind of slow things down and try to, you know, regain your composure. I mean, some of their possessions looked a little frantic down the stretch, the Wagner air ball, like what's getting into that guy. He doesn't ever, I never see him shoot that way. The Smith, uh, three-point shot it's like okay it's a good look if you're jimmer for debt i mean but that's a tough shot i mean i've played enough pickup basketball to know that when you're sprinting down the court and you just stop and you shoot that that's a tough shot to shoot off balance so i think isaiah livers with him healthy this is an entirely different story and you could say that for villanova you could say that any year and that's why we play you can't take anything away from ucla but I do think that last night it was evidence that the uh, the liver's absence killed him. Yeah, yeah. I think for really the first time since uh, the Ohio State game in the Big Ten semis, that was really the other time where it felt like he was really missing. And uh, yeah, I, I think you're you're spot on. They were missing him last night, and it's just it's a little bit frustrating to watch them go. And again, this is you know a credit to UCLA's defense certainly, but they looked so crisp on offense against um, Florida State on Sunday. And then to go from looking so crisp on offense and getting 50 points in the paint and all of that to looking lost for incredibly long stretches against UCLA last night. It was just a stark difference. But again, that's, again, as much credit to UCLA. You know, they they made their defense, made them uncomfortable. And um, so, yeah, and the Bruins are moving on. And they've got a tough task in front of them. <laughs> They do. And once again, I want to pat ourselves in the, on the back. We were, I feel like the only, I know there are other folks, but we were hyping up the Pac-12 a little bit. There we go. There we go. Uh, we have been we were talking about it a few times on this show back in February. And uh, just the Pac-12 was really good this year and no one was really watching it. You had to be someone like you or I uh, who's up at like 10 PM watching a basketball game. Uh, just, I there's something about those Pac-12 Mountain West games that just kind of help me like unwind and get ready for bed. Uh, and I watched uh, not not like a, not a ton, but I watched enough and to know that this UCLA team was a good story, that USC was a good story, Oregon was a good story. Now I did not see this Oregon State run happening, no. but uh, no one did. And uh, UCLA. I mean, my goodness, it, this is going to be, I mean, once again, it's so fun when UCLA 
And if Indiana can get back there, if these big programs can return to where they were, Georgetown getting into the tournament this year, uh, there are a number of other examples. UCLA, while I don't like their chances against Gonzaga, it's a great story, and it's one of the things I love about the tournament. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's you know we talked about it through text message about how things are always better when Indiana is relevant, and I think it's it's the same with UCLA. Um, you know, they had kind of gone through a downward spiral after they you know let Ben Howland go, and uh, in spite of those three Final Four trips and and all that stuff, yeah. and uh, just kind of been wandering in the the forest, so to speak, for a while, and they seem to have. I think the biggest thing is that the guys finally bought into it this year, but Mick Cronin brought an identity to this team. And it felt like in between when Steve Alford was there and I can't remember if it was just Howland, then Alford and then Cronin, or if there was somebody in between, Um, but they didn't have an identity. And then Mick Cronin has brought in this tough defensive kind of hard nosed identity. And it took a little while to get some of those guys to buy in, but there's clear evidence that these guys have, have bought in, uh, to the style he wants to play. And, you know, we didn't talk about it. They talked about it on the broadcast last night. They, you know, had Deshaun Nix who was going to come in and play point guard. And then he decided to play on that G league excite team. Uh, and Chris Smith tours ACL early on in the year. And they've been without their, you know, they didn't get one of their best players to enroll. He would have been one of their best players. And then and they lost their best player to an ACL injury. And they are still, you know, going to be staying in Indianapolis for a few more days, headed to the final four. And, uh, you know, uh, credit to Mick Cronin uh, and to his players. It's it's a tremendous job that they've done there in, at Poly Pavilion. So they will meet Gonzaga, who uh, really a, a lot of people were kind of hopping on the USC bandwagon. They seem like a trendy team and, you know, rightfully so they're easy to root for. They're a likable team and they were fun. And Andy Enfield's a great coach. And once again, great job by these, uh, these big programs, USC and UCLA to have these big coaches come over Andy Enfield, Mick Cronin and uh, upping the productivity of those programs. I'm excited to see, and you could say that again, this is it's easier to say this in theory, but when you overachieve in the NCAA tournament, theoretically, that should be the start of something that you're building off of. You're going to get some more recruits, that you're going to have some of these guys come back and maybe make another run next year. It's hard to do. Um, but again, like to have you UCLA and UCA USC relevant and uh Going deep in the tournament, I think that's great for the sport. USC, however, was outmatched by Gonzaga last night, 85-66. And every single game Gonzaga has played this tournament, I've walked away thinking I'm more impressed with them each time. Yeah, yeah, it was one of those where, you know, after uh, USC beat Oregon pretty handily the other night, it was kind of like, well, is this, you know, do they match up well with Gonzaga? Is this, you know, when Gonzaga is going to finally be tested really? And uh, I think a lot of people were like, yeah, Evan Mobley, he can, the Mobley brothers, they can cause some problems for uh, Drew Timmy, for Corey Kispert, for all those guys. And Mark Few and his players obviously heard all the national media talking about it because they came out with a purpose. It was seven, nothing 90 seconds into the game. Uh, they just took control from the very beginning and yeah, they, they, they impressed. 
I mean, they were, you know, they hit seven three pointers, which I guess isn't tremendous, but they shot 56 of 45 on two pointers. That's 58%. Uh, I mean, Drew Timmy was spectacular. He had 23 points, uh, 18 for Jalen Suggs, 18 for Corey Kispert. They're just so good and so balanced, and they can hurt you in so many different ways. And, um, you know, it, it was like, not that they get forgotten. But, you know, they end up in those West Coast Conference games and they almost kind of look bored. You know, they played so well in the non-conference <laughs> against Virginia and Iowa and Kansas and everybody that they beat. And, you know, then they just kind of, you know, they they disappear sort of in their Thursday, Saturday <laughs> night games where they're beating Portland by 40. And then they come back and then they got to prove it all over again on the, the national tournament stage. And uh, they have left, I don't think, any doubt that they are uh, the best team in the country. Uh, they've, you know, as Paul was, when Paul was on here talking about for entertainment purposes only, uh, Gonzaga has covered the spread easily in all four of their games. Um, you know, again, for entertainment purposes only, uh, if I can borrow his line. <laughs> You're right. But, but uh, yeah, and if you'd have told me of <laughs> Oklahoma, Creighton, and USC, that the closest game they would have with five minutes to go would have been Oklahoma before this tournament started. I'd have called you nuts, but it was a 10 point game against <laughs> Oklahoma with five minutes to go. And that was the closest. That's the closest the opponent has been with five minutes to go in any of their four games. And I mean, it's not like they're doing it against, you know, just a bunch of, um, you know, like low major schools. Like they're not doing like, this against. Like, take a look at Houston's. It's not like it's Houston's path to the final right. four. Houston. No, I don't think Houston played anyone that was, I mean, I think they only played double digit seeds. I don't know if anyone's ever done that in route to a final four before. They're the second team to do that. Second team to get double okay. digits all the way to the final four. Who was but, the first? Oh, uh, they talked about it. I can't remember. I'll have to look it up off and, and we, we <laughs> can put right. it in the yeah. show. We Continue. can put it in the show notes, put it in the show notes or something, but uh <laughs> Okay. But yeah, no, I mean, they've been, you know, they, they just getting quality teams thrown at them and they're just spitting them, chewing them up and spitting them out. It's been so impressive what they have done. Um, and, you know, no offense to Houston and, and we'll talk about Kelvin Sampson, but uh, it really feels like we deserve after it would be fitting for as much chaos as there was in the first couple of rounds of the tournament. If we end up with, you know, the top two teams squaring off in the national title game on Monday. Yeah, I really hope we see it. I think we're going to see it and we'll touch more on that, but we can touch on this Gonzaga UCLA matchup. Something that I think is pretty cool about this. I know Matt, uh, Matt Norlander was tweeting about last night, just the historical, this is Gonzaga going for a perfect season, their first ever national championship. In order to do that, they're going to have to get through the most, I don't know if you want, you want to call them the most storied program, but I think that's fair. The most, at one point, the most dominant program uh, for a very long time with John Wooden. And they're going to, and they're both from out West and Gonzaga's kind of become that team as like the King of the West as uh, Norlander was describing them. The other thing I think is interesting, these teams have met each other in the NCAA tournament, and it was 15 years ago. Hard to believe it was 15 years ago, but that was the first of those three years that UCLA went to the Final Four. Famously or infamously, 
this was the game that Adam Morrison came off the court in tears that uh, if you were not a fan of Adam Morrison, that was uh, a lot of people took pleasure in that. That did not like Adam Morrison for whatever reason. You know, uh, I was just going to ask you, how many times do you think we'll see that, that clip, you know, um, (laughs) Gus Johnson was on the mic. So if if you're like me uh, and really wanted to get into the March madness kind of feel, there are plenty of Gus, Johnson mashups of all his best NCAA tournament calls. Yeah. And that's one. And, you know, just the way that game ended, um, y- you know, I don't remember 15 years ago, whether I was like very in favor of Adam Morrison where I didn't like him. Uh, I don't really remember one. Way I had no problem with him. I just remember a lot of people didn't like him. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it was the mustache. If that's the case, then uh, you know what uh, <laughs> drew Timmy and Corey Kispert have going on at Gonzaga isn't going to help them any, but uh <laughs> Just the way that game ended, man, you know, Gonzaga blowing a 17 point lead when, uh, you know, that, and that kind of started the idea of they can't win the big one. And, you know, then they had to perpetuate that until they finally got to the 2017 final four and, and now a chance to put all of that to bed. But, uh, I can imagine if we set the over under probably on three or four shots during that semifinal, um, you know, I'm sure there will be a lot (laughs) of talk about that game, even though, you know, the, the guys who will be playing Jalen Suggs would have been like three years old when that game happened, if even. Uh, so <laughs> right. it's not like, except for Mark Few. And I, I can't remember if he was the head coach at the time. I think so. I think he was the head coach by then. But other than that, yeah, he was. There's, there's, there's nobody on you know either roster that had anything anywhere close to do with that game. But that's not going to stop people from talking about it because it's just one of those NCAA tournament moments that you – you know, you never forget kind of Morrison and then pulling the jersey up over his eyes and and all that stuff. But uh, it let me say it would sup- it would surprise me very much if we have a game on Saturday that's as close as that one was 15 years ago. Yeah, I feel the same way. I like Gonzaga a lot in this matchup. I would love to have a good game, but I I just I mean again, again what we've seen out of Gonzaga. I don't think this one's going to be particularly close. Gonzaga, it seems like it kind of felt like a little bit since they played in the in the West Coast and they had a number, they had a stretch where they had a lot of games where they weren't playing these types of caliber teams. And uh, that's nothing to say about the West Coast. And I don't think that anyone should criticize them for their conference or anything of that nature. But I do think there was a certain point where they may have gotten a little bored where they're just like, ah, we're killing these teams. And uh, now we're seeing them come into this tournament, guns blazing, uh, ready to, to finally get over that hump. I I like Gonzaga a lot in this game. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I think, um, you know, I think Johnny Juzang could give them problems. Uh, I th- he's a good scorer. He's, um, you know, and, and Tiger Campbell. U- UCLA has some pieces. I certainly don't want to diminish uh, the pieces they have on offense. But, uh, you know, Gonzaga's just a well-oiled machine. Um, you know, and, and the thing that I think that's really impressive and the reason why they've been the best team all year and certainly I think even with as good as Baylor has looked is that, you know, they've got so many different guys who can be the guy, you know, you get to, you get to certain teams and it's like, okay, if we can stop this person, you know, if we can shut down this player, I feel like we stand a pretty good chance of, of winning the game. And, you know, maybe one night Drew Timmy beats you, 
Maybe one night it's Corey Kispert. Maybe it's Jalen Suggs. Maybe it's Joel Ayayi. Maybe it's one of the guys who comes even, you know, one of those guys who comes in off the bench. Like maybe Aaron Watson uh, or Anton Watson, rather, or Aaron Cook. Or, you know, the, maybe these guys go for big numbers. Or Andrew Nemhard played really well against Creighton. They just have so many weapons and they're so balanced that it's so hard to shut them all down. Like you may get... You know, you may be able to shut down two of those guys, but you can't stop all five, and eventually they're going to get doors, theirs, and they're just so good. <sighs> right. Yeah, they're very good, and uh, I got nothing to dispute with that. We'll, we'll move over to the other side of the bracket. Now, the uh, Monday night games, these games were pretty decent. I will say uh, – Actually, I'm curious to know, how did you like this Sweet 16 format of the Saturday-Sunday and the Monday-Tuesday Elite Eight? Because each year we have those games on Thursday and Friday night. And I actually, I guess I'll tell you mine first. I love the Saturday-Sunday. They have four games running all day long. It's like, you know, a lot of people who love the NFL, they loved having that for the NFL playoffs this past year. I didn't particularly, I thought it was like, eh, this is all right, but I'd rather just kind of move through it a little quicker. But since I'm such a college hoops junkie, I loved having all those games each day and each game kind of having its own spotlight. Um, And then we have Monday, Tuesday. Now I will say I didn't really love the way they executed this Monday, Tuesday thing because I felt like the second games were starting a little too late. I mean, they're starting last night. Michigan is an Eastern time zone team and they're playing at 10 PM. That's when their game starting. Meanwhile, the other game, which is two Pacific uh, time zone teams, they're starting at four 15 Pacific time. I don't think they executed that wonderfully, but would you like to potentially keep this model maybe tweak it a little bit in the future? Would, would, do you want to revert back to how we used to do the Sweet 16? You know, I, d- I don't mind. I liked having the Thursday or the Sweet 16 game standalone. I thought that was really good. Um, I was interested. I did hear a national reporter, Gary Parrish of CBS, point out that one of the reasons that they could do that was that the teams are already in Indianapolis. And it's one of those things where if you keep the same schedule with the national semifinals on Saturday and the national title on Monday, if you stick with this Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, you've got a team that's waking up Wednesday morning at wherever their uh, regional was, two of them, and then they have to get to the final four site. Um, And, you know, teams typically like to go home or they like to go and spend a few days to get acclimated and they may not have that same kind of thing. And, um, so, you know, I certainly wouldn't mind if they wanted to go back and do the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but build out the Sweet 16 on Thursday and Friday. I, I don't know whether you'd be able yeah. to find the TV network to put uh, the first game on at 2.15 Eastern on Thursday and Friday afternoon. Maybe you could. Um, but as we've seen with these tip times, you know, television kind of rules all and uh, <laughs> all right. they get their say. Um, but I certainly enjoyed it. I thought it was different. Um you know, I, I think for logistical purposes or, you know, maybe you do a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday and kind of split the difference or something along those lines. I certainly yeah. wouldn't mind it. Um, it won't surprise me if they go back to the old format just because that's the way things have been done for for so long. And then, you know, you, maybe you look at it and after you've seen this year and then a couple of years after that, kind of how the numbers shake out, then you maybe exp- uh, get back together and say, OK, maybe for 2024, 2025, maybe we'll look at doing something different. But uh, I certainly enjoyed it. It was 
you know, the, the Elite Eight games you can't do anything about because they've always been standalone anyway. So there was, you know, a time where I was, um, you know, especially as the first half of that Oregon State-Houston game was coming to an end. And I was like, man, I really wish I had something else to flip to. So it was good that the women's tournament was going on. That was really helpful. Yeah. Um, but I was struggling last night because I, I didn't want to watch commercials and I needed something to flip to. And by the time the second half of the Michigan <laughs> game was going on, there wasn't anything else happening. So I was just flipping to HGTV for a few minutes because that's kind of one of the default stations in our house. And I needed something other than <laughs> commercials to watch. Um, but yeah, no, I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the format. It was a little bit hard. It felt like sometimes cause there were a couple of sweet 16 games that weren't great. And, you know, when you get those, it, it, it's one of the, the nice things when multiple games are going on. It's like, well, I'll turn to watch this one then. And, you know, so I don't know whether you got people just to tune out because there were, you know, some of those games weren't particularly close or whether people kind of watched it all the way through. But I thought the format worked great. And uh, if the NCAA and Turner and CBS want to do it again in the future, I certainly would support that. Yeah, I love multi-screening. I love watching two games at a time and having stuff to flip to. However, I will say, like, with it being a weekend, you can go for a run. You can go outside. You can go on a walk with your dog. Like, I had no problem with that whatsoever. Uh, I did think the other thing you touched on, I'm going back to, you were talking about the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday I'm trying to think what it, where you were going. You said we could potentially split on Friday, Saturday. I think that's a really great idea. The other thing I liked about it, Andrew, is I, I like that the break that we have happens early in the tournament because it's so fun when you have more teams included and more teams excited and involved. So to kind of go a whole week before trimming the fat and getting down, and then I typically never love when you have a whole week from – Elite eight to the final four, because I feel like, I don't think it really builds momentum. I think we have more momentum moving into this weekend. Yeah, no, I would absolutely agree. And, you know, it gets to be a little bit like that week off between um, the conference championship games and the Super Bowl. Like I totally understand that guys need to rest up. It's a physical game. You've played, you know, if you were a wild card team, you've played 19 games in, 20 weeks, uh, even not counting the preseason, but there's, there are only so many storylines you can talk about. And, you know, it's the same kind of thing by the time you get in a regular year to Sunday evening until you get to Saturday afternoon, there are only so many final four storylines you can break down. There are only so many things you can talk about the team. So the fact that, you know, this year we're, we're Wednesday morning and we will kind of roll through some of these storylines and by the time we kind of exhausting them, you know, it's Friday evening maybe. And it's like, well, the games are going to tip tomorrow. Um, whereas like you'd said, you know, there is kind of a a long break and you kind of exhaust everything and you've heard people talking about it. So yeah, I could, you know, it would certainly be nice if they could find some kind of middle ground to, uh, you know, adjust the schedule in such a way. So we got 25 minutes left, uh, plenty to run through over the next 25 minutes will work efficiently. So Monday night's games. Both were pretty good. Uh, Baylor and Arkansas. Arkansas was trailing early, as they always do. They came back, and they made it uh, real close. There was about six minutes left where it was – I can't remember if Arkansas had a lead in that game. They may have, uh, but it was was like a two- or a three-point game, or they are neck and neck with about six minutes left. And what I like seeing in that game, it it was a game of runs. That's how basketball is. One team 
puts up 10 straight. The other team puts up 10 straight. Uh, credit to Eric Musselman, everything that the Razorbacks were able to get done this year. They greatly overachieved. They're one of those other teams where you look at, hey, if with this run and him his second year, you have to think that program is in the process of returning to where it was in the 90s. Uh, now, obviously, that's a tall ask, but I mean, they that those fans love that team. They're a great story this year. Baylor, we, we've touched on Baylor. They're a buzzsaw. They're clearly one of those top two teams in the tournament. It's hard to beat them. 81-72, Baylor Bears moving to the Final Four. Yeah, you saw how important Davian Mitchell is. Uh, if you were watching that game, they kept mentioning, you know, what his plus minus was and how Baylor was, I, I think, plus 16 when he was on the floor and minus eight when he was off of it. And, uh, you know, he when he picked up that those three fouls in the first half, that that really kind of changed things. It allowed Arkansas to go on that run. You mentioned uh, the runs because it was what it was, I think Baylor built a lead something like 25 to 11 to start the game. And it was like, oh, well, you know, Arkansas's got them. They're down double digits. They got them exactly where they want them. <laughs> and then uh, Mitchell picked up those fouls and Arkansas kept chipping away and they got it to uh, got it down to six at one point. I think it was an eight point halftime lead. Uh, and then they went back and forth and, uh, you know, credit to Arkansas. You mentioned uh, they were able to hang in there without J.D. Note, who picked up those his third, fourth, and fifth fouls in about uh, a 90-second stretch, um, you know, a charge, a couple of blocks, I think it was, and uh, things like that. And, um, you know, they kept going, and Moses Moody just never seemed to look comfortable on offense, and they were still right in it. Uh, it was 64-60. I think that's what it was with about six minutes to go, and they had a couple of possessions to cut it to one and just couldn't score. And then Baylor, you know, Macy Oteague hit a couple of big three-pointers. Adam Flagler hit a big shot. Um, You know, much like talking about Gonzaga, Baylor's got a ton of weapons. And, uh, you know, you you can shut down some guys for so long, but you can't stop them all. And uh, they just made more plays down the stretch. You know, credit to Scott Drew, uh, former Valpo coach for a year, the Butler assistant. Uh, so to be able to, I think, coach a few games in Hinkle Fieldhouse must have been pretty special for him. And uh, then in Indianapolis, uh, you know, with his with Homer there and and Janet to to watch and uh, to take his team in the Final Four, first time since 1950 for Baylor. And uh, you know, it's got it's got to be an exciting deal for them. And uh, you know, so and they're going to renew an old Southwest Conference rivalry with Houston. And uh, you know, since that conference broke up when the formulation of the Big Twelve. And uh, yeah, that's going to be an interesting game. Uh, I assume we'll touch on Houston here in a few minutes and then kind of break this down. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's hard to know how good Houston is. And it's, it's weird to say that. I feel like they sort of get the Gonzaga treatment because, you know, you mentioned uh, played four double digit seeds to get there. They beat a 15, a, a 10, a 11, and a 12. And um, to get to the final four. It kind of feels like they're catching. In uh, 2018, they had that year where Jordan Poole hit the shot, and Michigan had a uh, not not an overly complicated route to the Final Four that year. Uh, and now Houston, let's say that that shot doesn't fall, that could have very well been Houston that year. And this year, Houston's kind of catching the breaks; it's making up for that uh, prayer of a shot that fell in. That was an unbelievable shot. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely was, and. Uh... You know, certainly that's uh, 
the, the path is open up for them and you're never going to fault anybody for the path that they take to get to the final four. Cause all they control are the, no, the games, never. That, all, they, all they control are the games that they play. Um, but you, you know, how tested are they? Um, you know, we'll find out. They certainly have the athletes and the players, I think to give Baylor a game. Um, but I mean, they haven't been, you know, they haven't faced a team like Baylor. Uh, and that's, you know, really no fault of their own, but they were the, the clear best team in the AAC and, uh, you know, everybody else, you know, Wichita state and Cincinnati and Memphis and all those teams are kind of a, a rung below sort of your, your top tier teams. And how are they going to, you know, react, especially when I feel like, you know, Rutgers challenged them some, I mean, they were down close to, they're down eight with four minutes to go. So certainly they were challenged, but you know, Baylor is going to represent an entirely different kind of challenge. And how do Calvin Sampson uh, and his team respond to that? Yeah, and I love this matchup. I love, again, great stories. Houston, back in the Final Four, first time in essentially 40 years uh, with uh, Phi Slamma Jamma. And then you got Jim Nance on the call. Jim Nance is a Houston guy, and I know Jim Nance is going to do an excellent professional job like Kirk Herbstreet does when he calls Ohio State football. You're not able to tell that that guy went to Ohio State. Jim Nance, though, it was fun to see how giddy he was when he got on after uh, after Houston won that game on Monday night. He was so excited. Uh, Oregon State. Again, great story for them. Unfortunately, Houston is a better team. Houston wins that game 67-61. We got two teams from Texas here clashing in the Final Four. We had touched on in our uh, bracket preview how there were so many teams from Texas this year in the tournament. There were seven. Uh, Baylor and Houston, it should be a good game. Uh, I do think, however, Baylor is going to win this one. And uh, I think we're going to be set up nicely for that Gonzaga Baylor championship game. And I think unless you're a fan of any of these particular programs and I get it, maybe with Houston, you want to see a team come out of the American win. But if you're a huge college basketball fan, what more could you ask for than Gonzaga and Baylor two teams that have been trying to get over that hump for so long, clearly the two best teams throughout this whole season uh, that's what I would love to see the most. And I think we'll see it, Andrew. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. I think, you know, they, they were number one and number two towards the end of last year, uh, number one, number two to start this year and have basically stayed there. You know, Michigan, Illinois kind of flopped in a little bit when Baylor went on pause and lost a couple of games. But uh, for it's been pretty evident to, to people that these are the two best teams in college basketball, and it would be awfully fitting um, to see those two teams square off again, like I, I, I said earlier, you know, for as much chaos as there was in the first, you know, two rounds of the tournament, I feel like if we get Baylor and Gonzaga, this would almost kind of check all of the boxes that you're looking for. We've had Cinderella runs, we've had some good upsets. I mean, I feel like the one thing this tournament really has been missing, I guess, is that buzzer beater. I guess Alex Reese's three pointer to tie is probably as close as we've gotten. Um, but other than that, you know, you, you get good Cinderella runs, you get good stories, but then if you can boil it down, I mean, you so rarely even get where you get the best team to get to the national title game because uh, a single elimination tournament is just kind of a, you know, if you have one off night, you're, you're all done. But, you know, to get the top two teams, the two best teams to play each other would be uh, a real treat. Although I think, 
on the flip side of the Gonzaga, uh, the Baylor Houston, it would also be kind of neat to have the national title game be a team from the West Coast Conference squaring off against a team from yeah. the AAC. Like, you know, you talk about all the Power Five, the Power Six, all that stuff, and then here you go. Then the national title is going to be determined between the West Coast Conference and the AAC. But uh, I like Houston to keep it close. Um, but I, I do think, like we said, Baylor just has too many weapons. Um, and this certainly feels like a team that's on a mission to get to the national title game. You know, they, they, Scott Drew had been to a couple of elite eights and never gotten to the final four. And uh, I think, you know, I said on the, the bracket preview, one of my, one of my maxims when I was filling out a bracket was, you know, you don't pick Baylor to the final four until they get to the final four. So now that they've been to a final four, <laughs> right. now, next, now next year I can feel comfortable in picking them to do that. But uh, you know, credit to Scott Drew and, and all of his assistants and those players. And, uh, you know, I think Baylor gets a slight edge. Uh, I haven't seen um, – I don't know if they've put out betting lines yet for entertainment purposes. But, um, you know, I, w- I would maybe like Houston to keep that game close. But I think ultimately Baylor is uh, – Baylor's too good. And uh, with any luck, you know, we'll get – not that I would complain if we got UCLA-Houston or UCLA-Baylor or whatever. But uh, with any luck, we'll get uh, Gonzaga-Baylor. And hopefully that, you know – you want a game that lives up to the hype? And there will be an awful lot of hype behind that game if if we get it on Monday night. Yeah, and I think then the next question, the last one for our preview here, uh, and then we're going to move over to some other stuff. But the the last question then is, can Baylor beat Gonzaga? And I guess we're going to we're going to see how that seems like we know how good Gonzaga is. The question is, is Baylor on the level of Gonzaga? And I think they are. We'll see. Uh, but I think it, I think Baylor can win that game. Baylor could. It's it's really interesting. Um, you know, you look at adjusted efficiency margin, Ken Pomeroy's statistic, um, and there is as big a gap between Gonzaga and Baylor. There's more than eight points difference, and these are the top two teams in that ranking. Um Gonzaga's at 38.82, Baylor's at 30.73. There's as big a gap between Gonzaga and Baylor at 1 and 2 as there is between 2 and 12, Baylor and Villanova. So, oh, wow. uh, yeah, I mean, these, these two teams both top five, their top three offenses. Gonzaga's the number one offense, Baylor's the number three, Gonzaga's the number five defense, Baylor number 28. And now you look and you say, well, you know, Normally, you might say how much of that is, you know, Gonzaga based on the competition that they played. But, I mean, they played some good teams in non-conference, and they've certainly looked like they can defend well. But my inclination would be that it would be an uh, offensive-type game. I would guess maybe the first team to 80 probably wins. That would be my inclination, which, of course, probably means it'll be like 65-64 because, you know, reasons. But um, <laughs> all I want is, if, one, I, I want to get that game, but two, we've been building up to it for so long. And it looked like it was going to happen in December. Uh, they were going to play in Indianapolis, I think, at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. And then, you know, they had to cancel it because of a, a positive COVID test. And then they were trying to reschedule and they just couldn't make it work with the Big 12 season. So, you know, to finally get that game would be great. And, um, you know, it would have to be, I imagine, you know, I'd have to go back and look kind of where teams are seated, but it would have to be like 
as the hype for that game, I feel like would be as big as any in the national title game we have had in quite a while. Because, you know, even when you get two seeds and three seeds to show up, like very rarely do you get the teams, the two teams that you've identified as the two best teams in the, in the country to play in the, in the championship game. And that would just be an, an absolute treat for, for college basketball fans. If I couldn't get Michigan in there, I feel like uh, Gonzaga Baylor is the game I wanted. So, <laughs> and I'm also going to take Gonzaga over Baylor, but I, I think it's closer than a lot of people might realize because Baylor is a dang good team this year. I picked Gonzaga in the preseason and I foolishly picked Illinois when we started the bracket. I'm going back to my Gonzaga pick. I feel good about it. Andrew, we've got a little bit else to discuss here in the final minutes of our show. So we had some coaching uh, news over the last week. So first of all, just to recap, Shaka Smart out at Texas. Now, he does move over to Marquette, and I think that's a terrific hire. Shaka's a great coach. I also think that I don't like it. I don't think if I, I would have given Shaka another year to run it back. This was a good year for their program. Yes, they lost early. COVID, I mean, this is, you know, thing, Andrew, I was thinking about this. This is a bad year to fire coaches because not only is it the fact that, hey, everything that happened over COVID this past year, it was a weird year. There was a water situation that, uh, with the heating and everything that went on in Texas where they couldn't practice. On top of all of that, all of these guys have an extra year of eligibility. So it's the perfect year to run it back, try to get all those guys to come back. Instead, what we're going to see with some of these programs that chose to let go of their coach after this year, it's going to be kind of sloppy with how many guys we have going through the transfer portal and transfers in general. Now, obviously, there's no guarantee that you're keeping those guys with your coach staying intact. But I just feel like this was the type of year to... And Texas did the same thing with football. They let go of Tom Herman after they kind of played some good football down the stretch uh, of the of their Big 12 schedule, and they won a bowl game. I I don't like it for Texas. I don't know where they're going to go now from here. That's a good question. Um, you know, I assume they're going to make a run at Chris Beard. Uh, Chris Beard is a as a Texas alum. Um, you know, some other names have been mentioned. They're I think going to try and probably make a run at Eric Musselman. Um, you know, he's had a lot of success and does he want to get to Texas and, you, you know, a lot of other things. There've been some other names kind of bandied about. It'll be interesting to see where they go. Um, I don't blame Shaka for deciding he wanted to get out of the fishbowl. Um, you know, yeah. there's, there's something certainly, I think there's a lot to be said for being at a basketball school and the pressure that comes with being a basketball coach at a basketball school. But at some of these other places that are football schools, and then when other programs become good, you get a lot of football fans who start following other sports and kind of expecting there to be the same success. And, um, you know, I, I think that was certainly part of it. And I don't I don't blame him at all um, for deciding he wanted to, to bounce. Um I hope so it did they? Well, I I may have goofed up. They didn't officially fire him. He chose he, to leave. He chose to leave. I think it was a. I he, bet. Felt, he felt that all of the goodwill that had been built up this year had basically been erased by the lost Abilene Christian, and that he was going to find himself on the hot seat. And 
just didn't want to deal with the stress and the pressure and all of that. And for all I know, they may have fired him later if he hadn't decided to, but it was one of those where he was like, I'm going to leave. I'm not going to give you a chance to fire me. He had feelers out there. It sounds like, and the Marquette people were interested and it got done pretty quickly. Um, So yeah, uh, it will be, uh, you know, I wish him a lot of success there. Uh, Certainly as a guy who, you know, Creighton's in the big East and we'll get, get to see him coach here. But uh, you know, it was one of those places where people kind of thought he was going to go before, uh, when he was still kind of the the hot rising name out of VCU, and um, you know they hired Wojo instead, and you know now he's there, and you, you know you wish him a lot of success. He's a Midwest guy, uh, but as you point out, it's going to be really interesting to see what direction Texas goes in because you know if they don't get Chris Beard, if they don't get Eric Musselman, kind of who do they turn to? Um, you know maybe uh, Grant McCasland at North Texas. People thought about Paul Mills at Oral Roberts. They, you know, those are guys, both guys off of the Scott Drew coaching tree. Um, but you know, you don't necessarily have to. Somebody pointed out you don't necessarily have to get a mid-major coach when you're Texas. But I don't. I, you know, how many Power Five coaches are going to be jumping to take the job at Texas? Yeah, and so to go back to Shaka, I think that. So I just want to be clear. I goofed that up. He did not get fired. Uh, so thank you for pointing that out, Andrew. Uh, now, however, I do think that's still, if you, uh, hey, maybe it could have just been a good decision on both ways to to move out. But I mean, there's a reason why Shaka didn't feel comfortable there, didn't think he was going to stay. And, you know, maybe he saw the writing on the wall. So credit to him for making that move over to Marquette. I think he's going to do a great job. That's a better situation where, you're in Milwaukee. You're not going to have as much of a spotlight, but it's still a good basketball school that's had success and you can get recruits there. So I think he's going to do a great job with Marquette. I don't know what will happen with Texas. We'll see. But um, Indiana's hired a new coach and they've brought in Mike Woodson, alum who uh, won national championship with Isaiah Thomas playing under Bobby Knight. He's a disciple of Bobby Knight uh, for better or for worse. Uh, Bobby Knight is a great coach. He actually now, so Andrew, uh, Indiana, as you know, is the, you know, I'm, I would, I wouldn't call myself an Indiana fan. I'm a Valpo fan. I'm a Northwestern fan. If there's a big program that I root for, they're probably the biggest program that I root for. And so I follow them, uh, fairly closely, Indiana basketball. I actually have come around on this a little bit. Initially I was thinking, all right, so if they're going to let go of Archie, and I think Archie's going to succeed wherever he goes. I think Archie's going to do a great job, and Indiana fans are going to look and see, oh, wow, yeah, he's a good coach. Um, for whatever reason, I mean, that was kind of a quick trigger. He only had four years in Indiana, but they didn't make a tournament, so I, I understand it. I have come around on this Mike Woodson hire, however. In New York, with the Knicks, he did – He's the last coach that made the playoffs. He's a, he was a good NBA coach. Now, the college game is different, but we've seen these coaches come in from the pro level, coach in college, such as Eric Musselman, and uh, I'm sure you could help me come up with another a, a bunch of other examples that aren't on the tip of my tongue. But uh, he's passionate. He's an alum. I actually have come around on this uh, hire. Yeah, I hadn't realized until... 
uh, his name was started getting bandied about. I didn't realize that he was on the 76 team that went undefeated uh, and had had all those accolades. Uh, all I remember was his time at the Knicks and his, his coaching levels. So uh, a guy who understands Indiana basketball, certainly uh, that's a good one to have. I really like the hire of Thad Mata to bring him in as I can't yes. remember what the athletic assistant athletic director for basketball relations or whatever the official title was. Uh, so it's kind of like they, it's kind of like they have two coaches. Yep. Yep. And uh, I think that's really what you need. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Juwan, uh, you talked about NBA coaches. Juwan Howard is another one who comes to mind. And yeah. uh, one of his first calls after he took the job was to Phil Martelli, uh, former coach at St. Joe's, who's now the associate head coach of Michigan and, and say, would you do, go on this journey with me? So uh, if they can do it and hire the right assistants, I mean, he's a guy who's passionate about the program and again, understands what Indiana basketball needs. Um, you know, you, you certainly don't want to wish anyone to not be successful. Um, so, you know, I hope it works out. He's a, he's a little bit of a different hire. You know, I think he's 63 or something along those lines. So a little bit of an older guy and, you know, but if, if he can connect with people, recruiting is all about being able to make connections. So if he can, if he can connect with recruits and, and get them to come in and get them to buy in and, and fill assembly hall again, you know, that he certainly has the coaching acumen as we've seen what he did with the Knicks to, to take Indiana back, to, excuse me, where they expect and want to be. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of the Herm Edwards hire in uh, college football where it's a guy who hadn't coached at the college level, was a, a solid head coach who was used to the spotlight in New York. So now you're going, and this is a big spotlight, Indiana basketball. You want a guy who can handle that. Uh, maybe that wasn't Archie's thing. Archie coming from Dayton and being a mid-major coach. I think that, uh, in look, Mike Woodson, high-character individual who cares about young men. I think he's going to want to build young men, which I think is a big part of coaching is not just looking at the X's and O's, but leading them like coach Gore was talking about on the podcast leadership. And, uh, I, he's passionate about the program. I think he's going to lead well. And I do think there is also something to the fact that when you have a guy who's coached in the NBA, who played in the NBA, that is attractive to recruits because that's a guy who could try to give you a pitch on how that you can reach the next level. So I actually have come around very, uh, very much. I've done a 180 on it. Initially, I heard about it on Saturday. I was like, oh, Mike Woodson's a candidate. That's just kind of, it felt like, I think the thing, the reason why people were upset and the reason why it's taken a little bit for some folks to come around on it is because the names that you were thinking about were John Beeline and Porter Moser and these very attractive guys who have won at the college level and seem to make sense. And then this, this hire, I wouldn't call it outside of the box because he's an alum and there's history there and he has coaching experience, but it just wasn't on the radar of a lot of people, but I've come around and uh, I'm excited to see what he can do. Yeah. I, uh, I had not anticipated this, uh, you know, as you'd said, Porter Mosier, John Beeline, some of the other names, uh, you know, they talked about Chris Beard uh, as he coached under Coach Knight, and uh, they thought maybe they could pull him in in Indiana as well. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, uh, he's got good coaching acumen. He knows what it takes to get guys to the NBA, and uh, you, you correctly point out that that will be a big pitch for him. And uh, certainly, you know, you don't want to wish anyone uh, ill will. So I uh, certainly want to wish him the best of luck and hope that he succeeds. Uh, I know a lot of people who root for Indiana and uh, they've been on very hard times for the past few years and they want to get back. Um, 
you know, those glory days when Oladipo was, was playing well for them under Tom Crean. And then of course, obviously the, the golden era before then Keith Martin his jump shot, all that good stuff. And uh, you know, they're a program that's thirsting to be good. Uh, I feel like they're in the same boat that Michigan football was before they hired Jim Harbaugh, uh, things of that. And, and we could spend another podcast talking about whether or not that hire has worked <laughs> out. You and I have discussed that multiple times before, yeah. and we'll probably continue to do so. But uh <laughs> you know, a guy who understands Indiana and, uh, you know, you hope for the best and that he can get that program turned around and, and where they want it to be. Because, you know, we, we've talked about college basketball is better when they're good. So uh, if if he can do that, then we'll be in a better place as a sport as a whole. It just would be nice to beat Purdue next year. That's That's all I think Indiana fans would like to see in year one. Uh, they certainly wouldn't turn that down. Well, Andrew, uh, I know you got to run, so uh, you got a class or a meeting or something. Why don't you uh, thank you once again for coming on? We'll see you next week, probably on Tuesday. Uh, how can people get in touch with what you're working on right now? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is a stem zero zero, and. Uh, I don't know. There will be college basketball musings for a couple more days. I may take a couple of days to recover from that Michigan loss before I put some thoughts out there. But yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, ASTEM00 on Twitter, uh, sports department at the Omaha World Herald, omaha.com slash sports. Uh, thank you for having me on, Jack. Always good to talk college hoops with you again. And I uh, look forward to talking with you on Tuesday. My pleasure. All right. I'm going to let you go so you can run. I'll wrap the show up myself. Take care, Andrew. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right, guys, that was my conversation with Andrew Stem. Fun times here on the live stream. As you can see over here, I got my uh, my Reggie Miller UCLA jersey. Uh, I just I, I'm not a UCLA fan, but I thought that was a pretty sick jersey. I thought I'd hang it up here in the background with UCLA winning that game. And by the way, you know what's funny is with that jersey, I've had folks. I've worn it before and people were like, oh, that's a Lonzo Ball jersey. And I was like, well, one, that's not Lonzo Ball's number. Two, no, that's Reggie Miller. <laughs> so that was that was funny when people were and people would come up and they'd say, Oh, good. I'm glad that's not a Lonzo Ball jersey. And I was like, all right, whatever. I I, I don't care. But Reggie Miller, uh, legend, got that jersey there, UCLA, one of my favorite jerseys in sports we'll have to do that sometime rank the jerseys that we have in college sports anyway we've got another list that we'll be ranking and that'll be coming out tomorrow the best comebacks in sports over the last 20 years we're going to be talking about that uh as this is a part of holy week and uh why jesus's comeback is better than them all and hey, you know what? I know not everyone is religious or it's been a while since you've heard you've been to church. You've been to hear the uh, the story of and why Christians celebrate Easter. If you want to learn a little bit, you can check it out. If, if you're not interested, you don't have to listen. That's OK. You can join us next week for some more sports talk. All right, guys, we got so much coming out. Once again, I talked to Luke Gore a couple days ago. We released our uh, MLB preview. So go check that out at jackvita.com. More to come next week when we recap the national championship game. Get ready for the Masters. Probably have some baseball talk along the way as well. You can get in touch with me on social media at Jack Vita Show. 
on uh, on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Jack Vita Show, YouTube.com slash Jack Vita. Subscribe and follow along so you don't miss any more of these live streams. They've been a lot of fun. It's been fun having you guys tune in. Subscribe to the Jack Vita Show wherever it is that you get your podcasts. I'm done for now, though, guys. So until the next time you hear from me, I'm Jack Vita. Bring in the dancing lobsters. <laughs>